Hey, this is the Access Pod. I'm Tony. And for episode three of the podcast, we have brought back Christy, um, my sister and co-founder. But today we are turning the spotlight around uh, on me and focusing on Access both as a growing virtual community of creatives and as a creative endeavor in and of itself. We get into why we do this thing, how it works, how it's going, and where we think it's going. I could talk about this stuff without a pee break for four hours, and listening over it as I was editing, I think I was a little bit in a hurry. I get so amped to talk about this stuff that (laughs) I just kind of roll and can sometimes get ahead of myself, but... I'm sure you will forgive me, my shortcomings, and I hope you enjoy. Oh boy. Okay. So um, this morning I was just looking at, I was looking at the numbers from Axis. So over the course of the past four to five years, so since 2016, we've had 17 different cohorts so far with about 40 people that have been involved in Axis at, at some point in time. And some people have been you know, single cohort people, some people haven't lasted a full cohort, and then some people have come back 10 or more times. And yeah, I wanted to ask, what do you think makes the model work? Like, I would, I would say at this point, 17 cohorts in, we can go ahead and claim that this is working. So why do you think that is? I agree that it is working. Uh, And now I actually didn't know those numbers. I was thinking we were over 20 cohorts. So thank you for setting me straight on that. But I was thinking about this this morning that we're about to start then cohort 18 and it's going to be, I think our biggest to date to a point where we're needing to evolve to fit all these humans in the virtual space of a cohort. And every cohort is kind of like that where we're evolving and changing and adjusting to try to be more effective in doing what we do, right? Our reason for being is to, for you and I personally, to get more work done. That was why we started this thing. You know, like we had the books we wanted to write that we weren't writing. So we made this thing to help us write books. But then we had all these friends of ours who also had ideas for businesses, for books, for creative stuff they wanted to be making that they weren't. And we were spread all over the place. Because at that time we were traveling more or less full time. So we have people on all these different continents in all these different stages of life. And so how do we bring these people together in a way that we're not all collaborating on one project, we're collaborating on getting better at our creative processes. We're collaborating on being better with discipline so that we can get more work done because then we have more work and it feels better. We feel better as people. A roundabout way of getting to your question of like, why does it work? I think that is why it works because we are staying focused on that idea. And I think for, for creative people, we have a tendency to feel lonely, you know, kind of different from other people. And then you know, we talk about the war of art all the time and resistance. Like resistance is such a strong force and there are so many ways that it manifests in our lives. Um, particularly as we get older and start living our adult lives and you get into a career and you start to 
build a family and you've got all these trappings of life growing up around you, uh, those creative dreams that you may have had when you were a teenager or in your 20s that I think are worth pursuing. They're worth developing. They were worth developing then. They're still worth developing even if you're in your 40s. It's still worth doing. Those things go to the back burner and they just stay there. And resistance really loves that. Procrastination and drama and busyness uh, and distraction, you know, on top of like the real life stuff. I just, uh, I rolled for a while there. Uh, (laughs) One other thing as to why it works actually is like because of all those things that go on like between resistance and between life, I think what we've ended up designing over the course of 17 cohorts is this really elegant structure. Like we try to be as sort of minimal as we can in terms of demands on your time and attention while providing as much structure and support as we can virtually to keep that thing from staying on the back burner, right? From keeping it Mm -hmm. in in front of you where you can see it and you're actually going to keep you know, making progress. Does that make sense? What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think it's the combination of community and accountability um, that people know, like people don't need us to tell them what their creative projects should be. Everybody knows what it is that they, that they really want to be doing. And, um, and what they need is cheerleading and they need someone who's going to ask whether or not they did what they said they were going to do. And it's, and then a lot of what we build out around that is it's, it's kind of icing on the cake. It's re- it really boils down to friendly faces who are going to lovingly ask you whether or not you got your shit done. Yeah. You know? And to put a finer point. I think you're right. There's the cheerleading is one thing. And then the basically the support, uh, the accountability is the other piece mm-hmm. that on that cheerleading point, I would draw a distinction between cheerleading being validation, uh, which mm. I think it ultimately doesn't matter, right? And yep. cheerleading the doing the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Which I think speaks to your first tattoo, right? That that idea from the Bhagavad Gita of you're entitled to the the labor but not the fruits of your labor. Right. Yep. Yeah, it was what comes to mind too is something something interesting that happened in this last cohort was um, because it was it was originally a twelve person cohort and then we lost someone along the way because he dropped out not because he died and (laughs) it was it was interesting because more so than in any other cohort people showed up joyfully to the morning check ins to say they hadn't done their work and there was you know there wasn't shame around it that people because a lot of times people won't show up to check-ins because they haven't done their work and then they feel bad about not having done their work. And then it's this whole shame cycle that kicks in. But I thought that was really interesting that people were like, you know what? Life's hard right now. The election's taken up all of my energy. I didn't do shit yesterday. And everybody's still like, we love you. Thanks for showing up. And it was, yeah, really interesting. Um, and I wanted to ask you too about Axis has gone through several iterations and waves over the course of the last four years and when when we started access both of us were were nomads and had a lot of time it was just like what we were fighting against to sit down and do our work was like 
distraction more than anything else or like wanting to go for a walk on the beach instead of like sitting down to write and stuff like that. And since then, both of us have gotten married. You've produced a child and have one on the way. We both fell back into full-time jobs. And then it, it was sort of like once both of us started working full-time, it's sort of like our energy for access and for other creativity went, I'm making this gesture, but if this is a podcast, that's not going to work. So it's like gone down is what I'm saying. Um, we, we took a, a hiatus of about a year. Yeah. 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 I was reminded recently of like what I would say was our shittiest cohort where there was four of us. And after like the first week, none of us did anything and we just stopped talking to each other. So that was the worst, <laughs> the worst of all the cohorts. But then with the pandemic, we've seen this like incredible energy around it. So I'm curious what you think about like, I've provided the context of what was going on in each of our personal lives, but like, what do you think societally has changed? Yeah, like in our culture, like what's changed that's made this such a good moment for this model? COVID is helpful to the degree that we're stuck in our homes more. I'll put it this way. I think the access was really necessary three years ago and four years ago when we started it the degree to which it is more necessary or feels more important today or more resonant with people, maybe as a product of the natural progression of where our society is going, it's kind of amplified by COVID. One of the projects I worked on early in, in Access was writing a book that's sitting in a virtual drawer somewhere called The Whipmaker's Apprentice, right? And the thesis of that book was, as the pace of change increases in our society, there are three ways we can deal with it. We can freak out, we can stick our head in the sand and pretend it's not happening, or we can learn to ride the wave of change. And to me, access is a way of learning to ride the wave of change. Because while our starting point is this feeling about creativity, of being more creative and quote unquote doing your work, with a capital W, right? Like the work that is yours to do, meaning that if you don't do it, it's not going to get done because you're the only person capable of producing this particular thing, right? That's why we're doing this. As technology just takes over our lives, you know, as I'm sitting in Toronto and you're sitting in outside St. Louis and we're doing this thing that then we're gonna slap onto the internet and it goes all over the place, like our work lives are going to continue to change and like jobs as we have known them, the jobs that we were raised to think about are going to continue to, I'll say evolve. Like a lot of them are going to disappear in the way that like the jobs that our grandparents thought about, most of those jobs are gone. Like they've gone away and that's going to continue to happen. And I think there's, there's real value in what we're doing where at this point, you've sold a few books, right? Like we have, we had a few people over the course of this year, not only make more work, but sell more of the work that they're making as a way of kind of supplementing their income or starting to make a name for themselves as creative. You as an author, you know, like other people's artists. I think entrepreneurship is incredibly important. I think art is incredibly mm -hmm. important. And I think we're, <laughs> There are aspects of both of those things in what we're doing, right? Where it's like, you have to make the work first 
And then you have to keep making the work to make better work. And then at some point when you make the work and you make better work, your work will get good enough that someone will say, I want that. How do I get it? At which point you can make an exchange. That's not the point of doing the work, right? But it's a natural byproduct of developing skills to a degree that you do the thing you do better than just about anybody else does. I think it's really important that we're developing those things, particularly those of us who that's what we want to be doing anyway. Uh, but it's like you and I have talked a lot about education and like the system we're growing up, we grew up in where it really was about trying to get the answer right. All, it's a <laughs> factory model. Yeah. Yeah. That fact, that banking model of, of education where it's just like, you're trying to eat up all the information that's being fed to you. And then you regurgitate it, you know, in your room with all your classmates where you all move at the same pace and you're all doing the same stuff to learn the same information. You know, Seth Godin has written a ton about this. I think it, that model is actually does us a disservice. Like it did yeah. you and I a disservice. I think yeah. the kids growing up today now, it, it's a, it's not. It's and not we were good at it too. <laughs> right. Well, but I think we succeeded in the system and it still did us a disservice. Well, and I mean, obviously we're getting into territory where well, like I'm, I'm a whiny brat and I, I want to recognize <laughs> that and honor that. Uh, is we were, we did have tremendous opportunities and those should not be discounted. But I guess where my mind goes is that like, regardless of where you're at in life, developing the skills like, that we focus on in Axis, which are things like discipline and putting one foot in front of the other, whatever it is you're working on, focusing on the craft of what you do you know, to get better. I think those are, are really important. And they're things that you're, we didn't learn in school necessarily. Yeah. So I was just thinking with um, now the, the current status of access is we've got regularly 10 to 12 people who are showing up or doing cohorts, four week cohorts pretty much every month. Like the, the wheels are turning, it's going well, it's growing organically. Where in your mind would you like to see access? What's the dream for like five years from now? What does it look like? And I was just thinking too, at some point we had talked about opening a physical space like a cafe back before uh <laughs> back before we were afraid of germs but um but yeah like what is what is what's in your head there now like what does it look like five years from now i would like to see us get to 100 cohorts i would like to see us having numerous cohorts running simultaneously uh, and i'd like to see our community continue to grow the transition we just made to slack is really helpful. And actually you and I haven't talked about this at this point, but um, up until this point, the, the entry point for Axis was joining a cohort, you know, which is a four week structure where you're focusing on uh, a project, you know, with this group of 10 to 12 other creatives. And I, I think now with Slack, we have the ability to have that be your entry point that, you know, like we're creating this virtual neighborhood really, where you can come in the neighborhood and then you can kind of have a look around, see what people are working on. We've got our workshop channel where people are showing off their work. We got our reading channel where people are sharing stuff that they're reading. 
Uh, and then within there, we've got the different cohorts. And I think that is going to end up being a, a really helpful piece for like growing our community where previously when we were just communicating basically through Zoom and then through, we were just using WhatsApp. WhatsApp yeah. Uh, it was really hard to have conversations mm-hmm. in that way. But now we're transitioning into a, a more sustainable structure where we have the underpinnings for you know growing this thing you know, based on the idea that the world needs more people doing their work. And mm-hmm. we now have the like fundamental structure, right, of the mm-hmm. cohort. We now have a this virtual environment kind of in a in a good place for going from uh, we tried two cohorts simultaneously once before and it went all right but now we're we just starting. both hated nighttime check-ins that was the problem <laughs> yeah I don't I don't think that's optimal for what we do but that's the thing we're I mean we're experimenting right that like yeah. for me access is my access project a lot of the times right yeah like, I'm trying to figure out how <laughs> to structure this thing that's kind of what we're trying to, to figure out on the fly as we go along. But I, I mean, I could see a scenario where, you know, a few years from now, we have project specific cohorts for like authors and painters and entrepreneurs where we're getting more specific in our subject areas, doing creative retreats. I mean, I think that's something that will yeah. happen in 2021. Yes. You know, assuming society allows for it. But, uh, but ultimately, it's just about continuing to build this community of people who are focused on doing their work. And I think if we can stay focused on that, then other things will follow naturally. Yeah. What do you yeah. think? Do you have, do you have other thoughts on what you, where you see this thing going? Um, I love the idea of um, building a creative ecosystem. You know, people come to Access and it's, it's this kind of, you know, self-focused here to do my work. And like the, the role of other people is to encourage you, but the goal is you are doing your work. You're moving forward. And I think what's, what's happened over time is that people more and more are starting to be inspired by the people around them. And so, you know, it's like Seville, like she started off with all of, you know, she did meditation and she did landscaping and all of this, but then by seeing writers write, she then decided to sit down and like work on her own, her own book. Um, we're seeing that kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm personally inspired by the artists in the room. And so I've, I've taken a dive into watercolor. And then we're also seeing people start to get involved in each other's projects. So like Nathaniel's a musician and he's actively seeking people to like help with help with his music. And Aaron is a video game. He's working on learning to design video games. And now Nathaniel has gotten involved in his project. I'm reading your book. I'm editing Seville's book. Sarah's going to be editing my book. Amanda's edited one of my books. You know, there's this, this, this network that's developing of people supporting each other that, you know, Jen Fitzwater, she's got, she's got her Etsy shop and people are buying her work. And, um, and I want to see that grow into into a bigger thing that it's um, that eventually we've got this community that's almost like self-sustaining kind of thing where we're all we're all sharing and we're all receiving and yeah that's a really important piece as you make more work and you get better at the work that's what I was saying that you get to the point where people say oh I want that and Axis provides a supportive environment where you kind of get a head start on fans 
because we're engaging yeah. on a daily basis with one another while we're making the work, we're rooting for each other, right? I'm rooting for your book, not only to get done, but to be good. And mm -hmm. your last book, which we talked about in the first episode of the podcast, you've had eight people read the, the initial draft of that book now, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like that's, so like you're going to make the edits on that and then you're going to put that thing out and then you're going to have people when it's ready to be published or you're going to shop it or if we're going to publish it through off scripting press our our publishing house we opened on a whim um <laughs> you're going to have fans who not only are ready to read it but will kind of help push it out in the world there's a thousand true fans idea that if you can come up mm -hmm. with a thousand people who are excited when you make something you never need a real job I think is how Kevin Kelly talks about that idea. Like we knew that idea four years ago and we didn't have any fans at that point. And here we are four years later and, you know, we have like a few fans, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're, I think there's something to be said for the gap between like one fan and 10 fans is a much smaller gap than the gap between zero fans and one fan. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. It's <laughs> funny. Um, something, something else I was thinking about um, is this idea of being like a multivalent creative where you're, you're able to create across different, or you're interested in creating across different, different mediums, media. Um, and uh so like Jen Fitzwater is a great example of this, that she's an incredibly talented artist and poet and musician and now van builder and wood burner. Um, and it's, it's something that like, I was kind of jealous of her for that. That like, damn, she's so talented across the, like she's good at fucking everything. And then I realized that I also have those tendencies, but it's something that, was kind of um, not beaten out of me, but kind of um, screened out of me through my education that like, I, I'm a good singer. And I also was good at art when I was a kid. And, but those, those things were kind of, no, don't worry about that. Focus on one thing, focus on writing, you know? And then I was thinking about you. I'm like, well, shit, like you are a songwriter or have been a songwriter in the past. And like, you've you've gotten into video video editing and you've you know created access which that itself was you know a creative endeavor and you're a writer so yeah I was just thinking about like creativity in your life and being that like multivalent creative like do you think of yourself that way or do you like have like a hierarchical approach to like some some creativity matters more than others in your life I think of creativity as a spectrum and I think everybody is creative to some degree and there are some people who are more creative than others and if you are a creative person or like a person who's farther down toward the extreme end then it's I mean for me I feel like it's almost pathological I think we get this from our father a little bit but I, I do find it difficult to take orders and I, I don't think that's a, a good thing yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a virtue. I think it's just how I'm wired that my impulse is to make something. You know, I, I mean, I think about in law school, I think my greatest achievement in law school was the pot belly games, you know, where me and my buddy Brian just Love made, that. yeah, like we ended up putting on four charity events 
where we raised 10 grand, two of them being drinking games competitions and two of them being trivia nights. One being we had 350 people uh, where it was just the two of us putting it on for, I mean, really, yeah. And that was in the dark days of my, my alcoholism. <laughs> I wanted excuses to get drunk with my friends uh, and, and <laughs> like have it be seen not only as okay, but like I'm actually a good person. <laughs> but um, I mean, that's, that sort of thing runs through my life, I think, to a, from an early age. Which is to say, I, I do think that's just how I'm wired to a certain degree. To your, your question, I've been thinking more about this distinction between different types of creativity where you have artistic expression, and then what I'm thinking of is more entrepreneurial expression. Mm-hmm. And I'm still working on articulating it. I, I guess the distinction comes in the intent of the thing, where I think artistic expression is... It's from the inside out. This goes back to what we were talking about with the cheerleading and don't worry about validation. When it comes to artistic expression, I think you can't worry about the art, the validation from outside. The point is to take what's within you and find a way to put it out into the world. Mm-hmm. And with entrepreneurial creativity, I very much care about validation to the degree that I need to know whether this thing is working, right? Mm-hmm. Cause if it's not working, then it doesn't work. Right. Like, <laughs> There's <laughs> like no if, point. Yeah. yeah if yeah. we write a book and we put the book out there, you know, then the book is the book. Right. And some people may like it. Some people may not. And really it doesn't matter. The thing speaks for itself. Like well, there's could, value in writing. There's value to the writer, to writing the thing. Like you learn something about yourself in the world by producing a book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whereas you take something like Axis, and if we make this thing and nobody shows up, or if people show up and then they do it, and then they're like, well, that sucks, and then they never do it again, then there's value in the learning how to do that. But it's that relational aspect of the thing that has to be there for the thing to work. And if you don't have that relational give and take in the, the entrepreneurial creative endeavor, uh, it, it just, it doesn't work. You know, so it's almost like building. So I, I think of myself as having both those, but that I think you're, you tend to be more artistically driven. And I think I tend to be more entrepreneurially. Blah, 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 blah. Should we edit that? And no, let's roll with it. It's perfect. Keep it, keep it safe rolling. Um, entrepreneurial is a hard word to say so yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, you can own that that's fine (laughs) uh, that is my I think my sort of fundamental orientation where it's what I'm really turned on by creating are ultimately experiences that create connection or that provide the space for for connection for growth for feeling better about being alive does that make sense yeah it does and I wanted to ask you about your book that you recently finished. So um, where did the name Only Drowning Men come from? Well, so the book is about my relationship with my friend Kevin, who died more than two years ago now. The idea for the book is essentially I had a Gmail folder where I stashed our emails for four years because his emails were <laughs> They weren't emails. They were works of art in and of themselves. Yeah. Kevin was a force of nature, beautiful person, amazing writer, 
I mean, I, I still think best pound for pound writer I've ever known, just in his ability to impact you in a way that is really rare. So when he, you know, when he died, I had these email chains and it took me 18 months to be ready to, to go into them after his death. Uh, but what came out of it was this book that now has gone through an editing process and my project for the access cohort that starts next weekend is to see if I can't get a, a second draft that's ready to be shopped to agents. The title, Only Drowning Men, came from essentially, I think, a one-man show that Kevin intended to put on and never did. Kevin did, had this project where he started going around engaging with people on the street. And he was in touch with basically homeless people in a way that, you know, like me as a lawyer who's worked with homeless people and people in danger of being homeless through an organization in San Luis that I've never achieved. Uh, but he was so raw and authentic that he started recording some of these things. And the things he was producing uh, or capturing, I should say, were, I mean, it's incredible what he was doing there. And I think his intention was to package it all up. He had done a Fringe Fest show in St. Louis in like 2017, I think, or 2016, based on his bike ride across America uh, in the shape of a mustache. Um, and I think he intended to do a Fringe Fest show called Only Drowning Men. So I ripped it off from him. Long answer to a short question. So this, this book's been, it's been several months in the making and clearly the next, the next step with that is to get it over the finish line, get it edited, get it out into the world. Um, but what is your next creative frontier? Like what's the, what's the territory that you're afraid of, but you know that you need to head to? I, I do think it's Axis. The model for Axis is basically Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Which has had such an impact on my life. Mm -hmm. uh, it helped me turn my life around. I haven't had a drink in 10 years. AA was huge in that. AA started with like a few losers in Akron, Ohio in 1935. And it has grown to cover most of the planet. And it has helped thousands and thousands and thousands of people get better. And from my time in there, something that became clear is the alcohol itself wasn't the problem. The problem was something else. The problem was in those rooms, they talk about being morally bankrupt or there being a spiritual malady. And you got to get the booze out of your system. Or in our case with Axis, we got to find a way to hold resistance at bay so that we can focus on what we need to do. In AA, that's focusing on getting your spiritual house right. Uh, in Axis, it's focusing on sitting down and doing your work. In AA, you've got 12 steps. In Axis, we have three. Show up, put one foot in front of the other, and don't take yourself so goddamn seriously. And the hope is that if we can do these things, then we're getting better as human beings. And we're getting better as creatives. These things can kind of ripple out into all aspects of our life in a way that I think can really help people and make the world a better place. Not to be naive, but the way the world is changing, COVID just, like I said, amplifies this. There's such a deep loneliness 
and there's so much disconnection where we are not living the same type of lives that human beings were living even 70 years ago or 100 years ago. Our lives look totally different. Mm -hmm. And there are huge upsides to that. But one of the downsides is we don't have the communities we used to have. We don't have the connections. You don't have the, the natural support system just by virtue of the fact that you were born in a neighborhood. Chances are you stayed in that neighborhood. You knew everybody in the neighborhood. And most people didn't leave the neighborhood. That's just not the world we live in anymore. Like okay. our families are getting smaller. Our communities and our networks are getting smaller. And we need to figure out what to do about that. And I think what we're making is not just a community that can serve a, a connective purpose for the people in our community, which I mean, obviously it is, and I hope it continues to, because it feels good. One of the crazy things about this is we feel like we know each other. Well, I mean, you and I have met, we know each other, but there, <laughs> yep. there are all these yep. people in Axis I've never actually met. But I don't know. Yeah, like in in my heart, I don't know I haven't actually met them in real life. Yeah. Right. There there are a number of people like that. um, Yeah. Or that I haven't seen in five years. (laughs) Right. Like that, it doesn't register that that is Mm -hmm. the reality. And so I hope that we're also coming up with a model for creating nourishing virtual communities. Because the world needs more of this. Like we're not going Mm -hmm. back to how human beings live something has fundamentally shifted mm-hmm. in a way that we can't unring that bell but what we can do is jujitsu this technology in ways that nathaniel last weekend described access as like rehab for social media and i love that i <laughs> i wish i had come up with that yeah that you know instead of scrolling through insta or twitter essentially like playing into stuff about how our attention spans are so short or we're looking for validation mm-hmm. i'm putting the insta up and then i'm waiting to see how many likes i get instead of spending our time doing that we can spend our time coming to access you know coming into now our slack environment and you just get these little bites of nourishment that connect you to people in a in a way that feels good and helps you be more the person you want to be yeah. Man, as you were talking, I hadn't thought about this before, but it's um, Nathaniel also described like our Slack channels as like healthy social media. And I was just thinking that one of the key differences is like when I go on Instagram, I'm surrendering my attention to other people in a way that like I am not deciding what I'm consuming. It's whatever Instagram, the algorithm is deciding whether I'm going to see cute kid pictures or someone backpacking across Russia, or a social justice person, or news that inevitably is going to piss me off. Like, you know, I'm surrendering that. But like with our Slack, it's it's a much more intentional. Like I feel more in control of my even my own emotional space because I'm not I'm not surrendering that same. I'm not surrendering my control in the same way. Well, and you are contributing to building a community. Yeah. Yep. In in mm. a very real way. Yeah, if, if we have 12 people in that, in that Axis community, in that cohort room, and only one person is putting anything in there, it doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. It only works if we have people engaging. And the more 
you add, the better it's going to be. Like mm-hmm. with every, every contribution, you have the ability, each of us does, to make that thing a better thing. It's interesting to watch, and I really do. Like, I feel like at this point, it's grown into this living thing that now we're fostering or kind of nurturing. Whereas I, I would say for really up until the last three months, it was a thing that like we had to make a cohort and then see it through. Like you said, that there was the one where we were just like, ah, this isn't working. It's just, you know, not, not Give up. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now it's the, the community is a living thing mm-hmm. and it is our job and there's a responsibility to continue to feed this thing and to hold the space in a way that is generative and keeps, keeps allowing people, giving people the freedom to, to present themselves authentically in a virtual space, you know, which is you know, so much of social media is like presenting the beautiful and the sublime mm-hmm. and the exciting. Mm-hmm. And it's like an axis. I love seeing people finish things and I love like celebrating the wins, but the key to access is actually the losses. Like the key, what makes the thing really work is that we've, we've got this space where you have a goal and you're going to fail on certain days. And what we do here is that when you're failing on a given day, you show up saying, I failed. And say, awesome, get back up. Tomorrow's another day and you'll do it again. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding over and over, like if you're willing to follow these rules, show up, put one foot in front of the other, don't take yourself so seriously. At the end of the four weeks, you will have done more work than you otherwise would have, right? And not only have you done more work, you have strengthened your creative muscles in a way that next mm-hmm. time, it's gonna be easier, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna be positioned to fail less. You're going mm-hmm. to make more work. You're going to make better work. You know, and we could just like keep working this up to the point where, I mean, hell, now you are in a way more than me. You are the poster child for how this thing works, where you are now pumping out a book like every six weeks, which is incredible, right? And it's an amazing example of what's possible, but it, it's not magic. And it really is. It's not because you're awesome. I do think you're awesome. But the reason that you're doing it is not because of how awesome you are. The reason you're managing to do it is because when you're getting your ass kicked, you pick yourself up off the mat and you don't put the thing aside and come back to it six months later. You come back to it tomorrow and you put one Mm -hmm. foot in front of the other. That's the key. It's not that we don't get our ass kicked. It's how long are we going to allow ourselves to stay on the mat before we get back up and keep moving? Yeah, I think that is, that is very true. Um, Well, clearly we could talk about this all the live long day. Um, So as a, as a a dismount question, um, two parts, one is any advice. So if, if a person has managed to stumble on this who is not already a member of Axis and they're like, I want to be more creative, uh, what would be your advice for those, those people? And then also what, what resources um, would, you, would you recommend for anyone and everyone? 
The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, I do think is it. <laughs> no, I haven't heard of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a creative Bible. You can knock it out in two hours. Had I read that book 20 years ago, I think my life unfolds very differently. And that I think that my, I don't spend my 20s basically wasting them, getting my ass kicked by resistance. It's a beautiful book, really powerful book. And you know, as, as I think you said in our first one, access is a resource, send us a message. If you're listening to this and you hear yourself in it, you know what work you want to be doing that you're not doing, that's been sitting on the back burner for six months, 10 years, whatever, send us an email, find us on Instagram. Uh, I'll post this stuff in the show notes. Or Particularly if you're terrified, it's probably a good sign. It's what you should be doing. Yeah. And we make it, we make it super easy. You know, like we're friendly. <laughs> it's a supportive community. And we understand that when people show up, you're going to have a rough time in your first cohort. I promise you that. You are going to fail. But that's how it goes. Uh, the Teddy Roosevelt line about the, you need to be the guy in the arena. That glory yes. goes to the man in the arena. Before you can win, you need to actually step into the ring and be willing to lose before you can do that. Dare so, greatly. Yes. Yeah. Daring greatly. That's the whole thing. So, yeah, I just encourage people to, to get in touch with us if you think that this might be for you. So, well, perfect. Well, hey, thanks for talking. Yeah, you did a hell of a job. We'll see how much I, I end up <laughs> editing this down, how much of my jabbering we cut out. <laughs> All right, there we go. Another episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, Our next cohort we have availability in starts January 2nd. So if you are listening to this and are in the community but not yet in that cohort and would like to be, or if you're not yet in the community but would like to, you can get in touch with me via email, tony at access.work. Christy's email is christy at access.work or you can find us on Instagram at access.work. Thanks a lot for listening and keep doing your work. Till next time.